Welcome to the Old Bridge Baptist Church podcast. We hope you find the following sermon to be edifying for your walk with the Lord. If you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to reach out to us on our Facebook page. You can also visit our website at obb.church for more info. Now here's the sermon. Thank you, Harry. Appreciate it. It's good to be back. I appreciate you having me. And uh, it's been, uh, again, as we seek God for our future, it's been great to be in the pulpit and, uh, and so many times. So again, thank you so much for having us. We're only like an hour and 20 minute drive. We're, we're down in the south part of New Jersey. Um, exit, actually like the last exit on the turnpike, the second or the last exit in between those two exits. So um, Connie's here and Abby's here. And uh, so again, we're glad to be with you. Um, I'm going to turn, I ask you to turn your Bibles to Ezra chapter one. Thank you, Mark, for the reading today and the passion that ties, that tied into that reading, which I think is appropriate to God's word. Ezra chapter one, we're actually going to be in the book of Haggai today. And uh, has anybody ever heard a message from Haggai that you can remember? It's kind of one of those obscure two chapter books, but a very powerful um, book. To understand Haggai chapter 1, you have to get a setting. Very important in, in whenever we're, we're, um, we're coming to a, a scripture or a text, to understand the context. And so that's what we're going to do. So in Ezra chapter 1, I'm going to read, read some of what Brother Mark had read this morning. Um, just, just in a way of context before we get into Haggai. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia. Okay, that gives you a date. Very important for us to understand. There's important dates for us to understand. Again, the setting of scriptures. The first year of Cyrus is about 537 BC, which is about 70 years after the first deportation from Jerusalem to Babylon. Recall that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, would eventually level Jerusalem in 586 B.C. But prior to that, there's a deportation where some of the noble men would be deported into Babylon. Uh, with that first wave of deportations in 607 B.C. was Daniel. So Daniel was writing from the providence of, of Babylon, right? He was one of the noblemen that were taken. So... 70 years after that, very interesting, 70 years after that, Cyrus would defeat Babylon, that's Daniel chapter 5 with Belshazzar. Remember the text with the writing on the wall, the hand that came out? That just happened, okay? Now, Jeremiah chapter 25, Jeremiah chapter 29, and Daniel chapter 9 verses 1 to 2 prophesied, Jeremiah 25 and 29, and Daniel knew this looking back. God said, Jeremiah's message to Judah was, you are going to be taken captive by the Babylonians. And you can do this the easy way or the hard way. Surrender to Babylon, and it'll be the easy way. Unfortunately, they didn't listen. And because they didn't listen, they were taken captive but many of them were leveled and killed. And that's uh, the book of Lamentations. So, in fulfillment of Jeremiah's prophecy in chapter 1, 
This heathen king who does not know God, okay, the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, as we just said, Jeremiah 25 and 29, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, the king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation through all his kingdom and also put it in writing. This is what he said, verse 2. Thus says Cyrus, the king of Persia. He was basically the king of the world at that point. The Lord, the God of heaven, okay, he's using the Lord, L-O-R-D, the personal name of God, Yahweh God, the Lord, the God of heaven, the God of the Jews, has given me all the kings of the earth. He recognizes God's sovereignty. By the way, side note, Daniel talked to Cyrus and showed him the, pro the prophecy in Isaiah, I think it's Isaiah 44 or Isaiah 45, as recorded by Josephus the historian, that God prophesied before you were even born, 140 years before you were born, you were going to conquer this city and then you were going to send people back to Jerusalem. And, he, and Daniel at this time is alive, okay, of this writing and shows in that writing. And so Cyrus decides to send people back. Look what it says. He's given me all the kings of the earth and has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Okay, and I keep stopping. But Solomon's temple was leveled in 586 B.C. And God prophesied that after seven years, I'm going to send the remnant back into Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And I'm going to move in this king Cyrus's heart to allow this to happen. Whoever is among you of all his people, verse 3, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is God who is in Jerusalem. So what's taking place? Cyrus allows the Jews to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple and really actually to build a new temple. They're not rebuilding a temple because it was so devastatingly destroyed. And so that's the setting here of Ezra, which is going to help to, for us to understand Haggai. Now, move on to chapter 2 of Ezra. Again, we're trying to get a context of what's going on here in Haggai. Ezra chapter 2. Now look down at verse 64 to 65. Ezra 2 verse 64. The whole assembly together was 42,360 beside their male and female servants of whom there were 7,337 and they had 200 male and female singers. Approximately when Cyrus says you can go back to rebuild or to build a temple in Jerusalem, approximately 50,000 people who were living in Babylon, that got conquered by Persia, now uprooted 70 years after they, you know, the Jews were taken out, uprooted, many of them, the only home they ever knew, and said, I will volunteer, and I will go back to that city that has been leveled. The walls were leveled, the, the temple was leveled and burnt to the ground. Uh, read through Lamentations. It was horrible what took place. But I will volunteer and go back because I want to be part 
of building this new temple for God. It was hardship. It was difficulty. But those people volunteered. Now, go to chapter 3. Again, we're setting the stage for Haggai. <coughs> chapter 3, verse 8. Look at verse 8. Now, in the second year after their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, in the second month, Zerubbabel, now note that name, he'll be mentioned in Haggai as well. He is the governor that's coming back to lead the 50,000, okay, to build the temple. And Jeshua, and Jeshua is the high priest that's going back as well, okay? They come together, made a beginning together with the rest of their kinsmen, the priests and the Levites and all who had come to Jerusalem from the captivity. They appointed the Levites from 20 years old and upward to supervise the work of the house of the Lord. So they come back, and they're clearly coming back to build this new temple. And by the way, the temple would be named Zerubbabel's temple because he was the governor. And the temple that Jesus Christ, uh, during his time, was this temple. It's called, in Christ's time, it was called Herod's temple because there was renovations made to it. But this is the temple that they're going to build. Now, in verse 9... Uh, mentions of, of, of many names and in verse 10 and when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord the priests and their vent, uh, vestments came forth with the trumpets and the Levites the son of Asaph with their symbols to praise the Lord according to the directions of David king of Israel and they sang responsibly praising and giving thanks to the Lord so the temple um, the new temple the foundation is laid okay and that's completed around 537 B.C., about two years after the remnant came back into Jerusalem. They sang responsibly, praising and giving thanks to the Lord for his good, for his steadfast love endures forever towards Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Now get the picture here. These people leave their homes. They leave some of their family. They leave their comforts. This is all they've ever known to come to this devastating city and to build this temple. Who knows what they lived in? Who knows the harsh environments they had to deal with? And now they lay this foundation and they're shouting in excitement. Interesting enough, there wasn't just shouting and excitement. The Bible says in verse 12, But many of the priests and the Levites and the heads of the father's houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid, though many shouted aloud for joy. You see, Solomon's temple was leveled about 50 years prior to this. Some of the people that came back were older men and women. And they saw Solomon's temple and all of its glory. So some are shouting for joy and some are weeping and saying, even this foundation is not elaborate like Solomon's. And so there's a mixture. But the point is, is that the foundation of the temple is laid after two years. Okay, now we're getting into Haggai. Just hang in there with me. Chapter 4, verse 6. 
as they laid the foundation of the temple. I am laying a foundation for this sermon, which is very important. Foundation is very important. Now, chapter 4, verse 1. Let's just look at that first. Whenever God is doing a great work, what's the devil doing? He's opposing it, isn't he? And of course, that's what happened. The temple was the center of worship for the Jews. So it was a very important piece of worship. And so they lay this foundation, and the Bible says in chapter 4, verse 1, Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the returned exiles were building a temple to the Lord, the God of Israel, they approached Zerubbabel. And now there's resistance. And in verse 6, as we skip down, and in the reign of Azarus, which is a general term for king, okay? Not get into all the leadership because it gets confusing. Um, it's like Caesar. Just, it's a general term. Who exactly was the king? Um, we have to look in a second history. But just understand this. Cyrus had died at this point. The one who originally allowed them to go back to rebuild the temple. It's almost like, remember Joseph? There rose up a pharaoh who knew not Joseph. That's what takes place. Now, beginning of his reign, they wrote an accusation against inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. The enemies saw the, the foundation being built. They didn't like it. They opposed the Jews, and mainly because they exclusively worshipped one God. That's what they despised about the Jews. Just like some despise the fact when we say that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. But it's the truth. So they despise it. So they write these accusations against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. And skip all the way down the last part of this intro, verses 23 to 24. Then when the copy of King Artaxerxes, okay, not the same Artaxerxes in Nehemiah, Nehemiah, this comes about 75 years later. By the way, side note, between chapter 6 and chapter 7 of Ezra, there's about a 75-year gap, okay? Just when you're reading the book. Now, copy of the king, then the copy of King Artaxerxes, which again is a general term. So there's two leaders, probably one over Babylon, part of the kingdom, one over all of Persia. This seems to be the, the main king. When the copy of King Artaxerxes' what was letter was read before Rehum and Shimshai, the scribe and their associates, they went in haste, now look at this, to the Jews at Jerusalem and by force and power made them cease. Foundation is laid. All these people leave their homes, leave everything they knew to build the temple. The enemies come, they write a letter, the king supports the enemies, and armed guards with swords and bows and arrows and horses and everything else come and say, stop building the temple. And so it stopped. Now look at verse 24. When the work on the house, then the work on the house of God that is in Jerusalem stopped, and it ceased until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Now, that's not Darius with Daniel. This is probably his son, okay, who's a leader at the time, Darius II. 
But the point is, the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia, is about 520 B.C. The temple building, foundation is laid in 535, and the temple lies dormant for 15 years. And that brings us to Haggai. So let's turn to Haggai, and then we're going to have a word of prayer. And I know that's a long introduction, but you need to know all of that to understand what has taken place here with Haggai. Let me just read verse 1. Remember it said, in the second year of Darius the king, and it adds more specific dates. Verse 1, in the sixth month on the first day. That's the time period. This is exactly what's going on. The temple building has stopped for 15 years, and God doesn't like it. God doesn't like it. Because apathy, this zealous group that went back for a cause to rebuild the temple, have now become apathetic. And God is angry. Let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for the word of God and thank you for the truth. Thank you how it all interconnects. It's been tested by time. It's been scrutinized by scholars, and yet it is held up and proven to be true and accurate. And of all books of antiquity, ten, antiquity, far more genuine than any other book in history. We thank you, Lord, that we can rely upon the word of God as we speak today, and we pray today as you speak to us through Haggai, Chapter 1, something that occurred in Jerusalem some 25 or 100 years ago, that you will speak to us and apply this message to us. You are a God that is passionate and zealous. I want a people to be passionate and zealous for you and for your name. And Father, it's very easy for apathy to creep into our lives. For we are much like the church of Laodicea in the sense that we have everything. We have everything. Physical needs are easily met in society apart from you. Father, of course, directly it all comes from you. But help us, speak to us, encourage us, challenge us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Apathy, it creeps in. It's a gradual process. These people went out with a cause. They forsook everything for God's purpose and God's glory. And yet, they became apathetic. Which is a warning. If it can happen to them, it can easily happen to us. Look at verse 2. My first point here in verse 2 is that apathy creeps in when our focus becomes on the world. And the here and now. Instead of on God and eternity. Thus says the Lord of hosts. That's the God of the created beings, the angels, 
uh, and, and could even include heaven and earth. It's a very powerful statement. Thus says, kings used to say, thus says Cyrus. That means you better listen to what's happening. You know, the horn going off. Thus says King Cyrus. This is official proclamation. Well, thus says the Lord of hosts. Listen to what's happening. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. So we were stopped by armed guards 15 years ago, and maybe there's some talk and say, you think we should restart the building of the temple? And people say, nah, it's not time. 15 years have gone by. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Is it, is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? You came back to rebuild the temple. You were stopped by armed guards and 15 years have elapsed and you're finishing off your house. You've built your homes and you finished off every project you can think. When we were in Ireland, we, uh, our second house we, we bought, we bought a small house and we put an extension on. And you know, and some of you know this, you, when you put an extension on and you do it by yourself, there's always something that you're doing. You know, it's always, always doing some type of project. And it didn't actually get finished until we sold it. When we had to sell it, I, you know, the zeal came back in me and I finished it all off, right? Well, they were at that point. Everything was done. So, so Haggai says, and really God is saying to him, so it's not time to rebuild the temple and all the ruins of Solomon's temples laying all over the place. So there's God's house, but it's not time to do that. But you finished off your own house. You see, apathy is cryptic. You're focusing on the here and now instead of the things of God. And it's very easy to do, isn't it? We have work. We have school, we have house repairs, we're dealing with our children, hobbies, interpersonal problems, sports, running around, busy, car breaks down, etc., etc., etc. And I would say in this, this area, East Brunswick, it's, a, it's just moving, right? It's just moving. This isn't a slow little country town. It's busy. Very easy. And I know I've quoted this verse before, Colossians 3, chapter 2. Set your mind on things above and not on things of the earth. Literally means this. Discipline your mind to think about spiritual things and eternal things. And although you have to deal with temporal things, let not that be the focus of your mind. Very easy, isn't it? To revert the other direction. Apathy can creep in so quickly. We're so caught up in the here and now. We spend very little time with God or the things of this world. Apathy will, not might, apathy will bring God's chastening hand on our lives. Brother Mark read it this morning. Was God happy with the church of Laodicea? It made him sick. I'll throw you up out of my mouth. 
Joshua and Joshua 24, 15, that famous passage. Remember what Joshua talks about? Who are you going to serve? Are you going to serve the gods that Abraham originally worshipped on the east side of the Jordan? Speaking to the tribes before he died. Or are you going to serve the gods of the Canaanites whom land you've possessed? And then Joshua says, but for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. That's what we're going to serve. You see, God expects that type of loyalty and devotion. And it's very easy, very easy for apathy to creep in. But it will bring the chasing hand of God. Again, as we saw in Revelation chapter 3. Verse 5, he says this. Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Here comes God's chasing hand. You have sown much. You throw out a lot of seed back in those days, of course, at, you know, all farming. And you harvest as little. You worked hard for the crops. And you can do all the hard work you want, and you need to do that. If I don't give you the harvest, it's not going to happen. I'm chasing you. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. Drought. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. Maybe God just dropped the temperature. Trying to get your attention. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. House keeps breaking. Neighbor threw a rock or a rock came through your window. Whatever the case might be. God's hitting them financially. Thus says the Lord of hosts, again, consider your ways. Why is my chastening happen to you? And we have to evaluate. Perhaps, perhaps we're under the chasing hand of God and we don't even know it. That can happen. It did happen. <laughs> right here. They had no idea. They were under God's chastening hand. Listen to me. This was a people. This was a people that left everything they owned and went to Jerusalem. On a long, scary trip without any walls with enemies all around to rebuild the temple. And it lay dormant for 15 years, and they were under the chasing hand of God, and they didn't know that. That should be a warning to us. If it happened to these people, it can happen to us. Apathy can blind us of our plight. Verse 8. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. I am chasing you because my house lays dormant and you're not paying attention. Look at verse 9. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. Again, a reminder. You're under the chasing hand of God. 
If you laid out all these seeds and your crop didn't come up, so you laid out more. It's not happening because God's trying to get your attention. And when you brought it home, it blew away. Maybe as they were riding with their, I don't know how this works, with their wagon and, and their wheat, and a big storm came and blew it away and destroyed the crops. God's saying, I'm getting, I'm, I'm trying to get your attention. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, why each of you, now look at it, busies himself with his own house or his own cares or the things of this world and not concerned about the things of God. And God says, I won't have it. And you are under my chastening hands and it's obvious and yet you still don't see it. It's possible we could be under chasing God's chastening hand. It can come in many ways. It come in finances. Not every time we have a financial problem is because of God's chasing hand, but sometimes it can be, especially if we're not tithing. Malachi 3.8. It can come in the ways of, of a lack of joy. Because a fruit of the Spirit is joy. Some here may be very discouraged with their walk with God today. Or even borderline angry at God. That's not a good sign of our relationship with God. Remember Cain and Abel. God said to Cain, I do not respect or accept your offering. By the way, Hebrews clears that up. That was an offering of works opposed to, to faith. He was trying to earn his way to salvation. And God said, no, I don't accept that. So what did Cain do? He got angry and depressed and discouraged because he wasn't doing what was right. Again, that doesn't mean every time we're, we're depression because we're not with God. That's not what I'm saying. The point is, a lack of joy, a lack of peace, is indication our walk with God is not right. And so I would encourage you to evaluate yourself because the Bible says the heart of man is deceitful above all things. We can deceive ourselves to think we're right with God. The psalmist says, search me, O God. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 11, every time before we have the Lord's Supper, we're to examine our hearts. And God will show us and open our eyes because sin can be blinding. They were under the chastening hand of God. Verse 10. Therefore the heavens above you have withheld dew, and the earth has withheld its produce, and yet they didn't. it didn't come to them to think that Apathy is set in. That's how blinding sin is. And in verse 11, I have called for a drought on the land and on the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast and on all their labors. I'm resisting you and trying to get your attention. And you don't say it because you're so busy, so busy doing things. Very easy, isn't it? Very easy to get busy. We can even be busy doing things for God and still not be in touch with God. 
Are we spending time with God? Are we sitting at the feet of Jesus Christ? David said in Psalm 27, verse 8, The Lord said, Seek my face. And my heart said, Lord, your face I will seek. Are we seeking the face of God? Because that's really the first commandment, to love the Lord your God, to seek his face, to build a relationship with him. And the busyness of life can choke that out, can Well, how do we get victory? We see the problem. Well, I just mentioned it. First of all, and it's said here twice in verse 5 and verse 7. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Evaluate. Go before God. Here's my heart. God, show me. Where am I at? Point it out. God is gracious. God is merciful. What he will reveal will be measured and kind and truthful because he wants a relationship with us and he wants to restore us and once that relationship is restored then he can really use us it's him through us not our efforts but him through us so we need to do that there needs to be a fear of god more than man perhaps when God reveals what he wants us to do, we get ourselves right with, with him. What he shows us might be fearful. But we need to fear God more than man. Look at verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. By the way, of course, obedience. Repent and obey. And the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. That's the key. Now, I think fearing God is more than this, as I've grown in my walk with God. I don't want to be out of fellowship with God. I want to be in fellowship with God. I want to be in harmony with God. I want to be with peace with God. I want to experience the joy of God. And whatever gets in, that, what gets in the way of that makes me fearful. It makes me fearful. Because if I don't have God, I'm a weak person. If I don't have God, I'm in trouble. I need God. And so I would rather do something that is humanly fearful than be out of fellowship with God. And I think that's what was happening here. Because and we won't take the time because the introduction was so long. But if you would read Ezra chapter 5, verses 1 to 5, because these books kind of coincide. Because Ezra 5 now picks up with ha after Haggai. But if you would read that, you would see the people out of nowhere. And Zechariah the prophet was there as well, along with Haggai, began to rebuild the temple. And as they began to rebuild the temple, there was people that were, their attention, they got their attention. And the enemies came over and said, what are you doing and who is giving you permission? And they said, basically, God has given us permission. 
God told us to do it. And although you're fearful, we want to be in fellowship with him and right with him. And we're going to do what he wants us to do. And then those men sat there and they took names. You ever been in that situation? A job? And somebody says, you know, what's, what's your name? And they write it down and all of a sudden their heart kind of jumps a little bit. Well, they took names. Okay, I want the names because I'm going to give it to the king. And in those days, it wasn't like you just got fired. You got your head chopped off. Okay? So they said, we're going to take names. And they said, that's fine. We're going to keep working because this is what God told us to do. And so fearing God, and I think, again, fearing more of being out of fellowship with a holy, loving, kind, gracious, merciful God. I don't want to be out of fellowship with God, is the idea. I think, finally, it's important for us to see circumstances through the lens of faith. Remember Peter? Remember the boat? Remember the waves? It's dark. It's midnight, probably between midnight and three. They're on the boat. These guys are used to, they're fishermen. They're used to being on, on, on the sea. Uh, they're not afraid of the water. They're terrified. It must have been a, a horrendous storm. Remember Peter? He says to the Lord, Lord, command me to come out to you. Because he knows if it's God's command that God's going to give him the ability. God says, come out to me. Jesus says, come out to me. He's walking on that water. Amazing. I would have been terrified of, of, of the, the water and the storm. But Peter, man, he, he, he takes that step. Amazing. I have nothing but, but an admiration for, for that step of faith. And he's walking on that water, and he has his eyes on Christ. And man, that storm is kicking up, but his eyes are on Christ right now. You know the story. He gets his eyes off of Christ, and he looks at the water, and he says, what in the world am I doing? Right? And he begins to sink. Now, I never would have got out of that. But instead of looking at Christ, he got his eyes on circumstances. So what these guys had to do is, let me take my eyes off my circumstances. Now, I'll give you my definition of faith. My definition of faith is trusting God's word above our experiences and even above logic. It's not logical. Okay, to step on water. It wasn't logical for Abraham to kill Isaac, but he knew that the seed had to come through Isaac so God would have to raise him from the dead. That wasn't logical, but that was faith because he believed God's word. And all these men knew is that God told us that we have got to rebuild this temple and we're going to do it, even though it could cost us our lives. But we believe that God wants us to finish this temple. So the verse in Proverbs 21.1 where it says the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He turns it whatever way he wishes. That's what we believe. God can turn the king's heart. Now look at verses 13 to 15. Then Haggai the messenger of the Lord spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you declares the Lord. You take this step of faith you start rebuilding my temple and you leave the rest of the details with me. I am with you. That's all we need to hear. Didn't Jesus say that with us too? I am with you to the end of the world. I am with you. All we need to know is that this is God's will. Boom. That's all we need to know. Right? 
And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel. You imagine? Zerubbabel was a governor, and, and, and here's, you know, um, Haggai, and he tells him, listen, God says, I'm with you. And Zerubbabel says, let's go and start building. Let's get this house going again, man. And he's stirred up, and the people are stirred up. And the spirit of Joshua, the high priest, stirred up. And the spirit of all the remnant of, of the remnant of the people stirred up. This is God's house. This is God's will. This is God's task. I don't care what the media says. I don't care what Facebook says. I don't care what anybody says. If this is what God wants me to do, then boom, I'm going to do it. Because it's the creator of heaven. Who cares what other people think? When the creator of the heaven and earth says, do it, then we do it. And the people were stirred up. And they came and they worked on the, uh, on, worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. And they rebuilt that temple. Zerubbabel's temple. And if you would go through Ezra chapter 6, verses 8 to 10, it's amazing. Because not only did Darius give them permission, because he went into the archives and stirred up and said, yeah, you know what, Cyrus did say this. Not only did he do that, he found out that Cyrus originally, when he sent them to rebuild the temple, he paid for it. He paid for the whole thing. And Darius says, I'm going to throw money towards this. Any offerings you need, any of that stuff, I got you. I'm going to pay for it. Why? Because God was it. God stirred the whole thing. And so apathy, it's very, very, and I am guilty. It is very easy to creep in. But let's not allow that to happen. Let's keep our noses in this book. Let's keep reading and praying and encouraging one another. And seeing the God of the Bible and not worry about the winds, and the storms of life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the truth of the word of God. And uh, Lord, we're encouraged today. We're encouraged to hear from you. And I pray that you would apply this sermon and these circumstances to each of us today, to our lives. Some of us are battling right now. Apathy has, has come in. The Spirit of God has spoken. Perhaps there's a step of faith you want us to take. The Spirit of God has spoken. Father, I pray as a personal God in each of us, the Spirit of God, you would do business with us exactly how you want to. And Father, we'll thank you. And we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old Bridge Baptist Church. Please consider subscribing to our podcast on the platform that you're currently listening on. We appreciate your support and we hope you have a God-blessed day.